community. And we have been discovering in this series that our community, centered around the risen Lord Jesus, is full of miracles. There's a miraculous nature to it. Um, we've been comparing it a little bit to this quirky gathering of atheists that happens in cities called the Sunday Assembly, uh, a kind of church-like gathering for atheists that exists just for the sake of community. It's community for the sake of community for, with no other trajectory. Um, but a truly Christian community, one in which Jesus is central, exists for a greater purpose. It's the hub of miraculous activity, bristling with resurrection life um, of the risen Lord Jesus. And some of what we've seen in recent weeks is, is a growing community through which Jesus miraculously captivates the hearts of unbelieving people, drawing them in uh, as we're sent out to fish for men and women. And a creative community through which Jesus miraculously continues making all things new and good and beautiful. Tonight, what we're going to look at is a multiplying community, um, from, particularly from these texts that we read from Luke chapter 9 and 10 and Titus chapter 1. Living things not only grow, they also reproduce. Think of trees in a healthy forest. Of course, they're growing taller, they're growing wider, but they're also sending out seeds, and uh, seedlings are sprouting, and the forest gets bigger in that way. That's the way that living things grow. And in the same way, healthy Christian communities also multiply through reproduction by sending out seedling communities gathered around the risen Lord Jesus. And just as the birth of a new baby is always a miracle, so also the planting of a new church is always miraculous. Though people will tell you that it's just a science to it, it is always a miracle when a new church is born. And we're going to see more of why that is as we look at these passages together. Before we look at them, though, let's pray. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it. And we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see you clearly through these scriptures tonight. Help us to hear and understand and obey. For the sake of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to show you uh, three things tonight. The, the goal of a multiplying community and then look at the seed and the soil. Let's think about, first of all, the goal of a multiplying community. I was in the California Bay Area this past week, and uh, it was a great trip. I was there for the annual meeting of the leadership team for something called City to City North America, and uh, I had a great time with a number of other leaders, uh, church planning leaders from across the country. It's very um, encouraging and enriching. It was also super frustrating because uh, I had terrible cell phone coverage while I was there. And you would think that just being 20 minutes outside of Silicon Valley, I, I was expecting to have five bars, but instead I just had this one bar, and it's that ephemeral one bar that every time you're about to use your phone, it disappears, right? And um, I, it's what I've come to expect from T-Mobile. Um, I've started calling it just T because it doesn't work when you're mobile. When you need to connect, it's super frustrating to find yourself in a dead zone. And the spiritual topography of our world is exactly the same. When you need to connect, 
it's really frustrating to find yourself in a dead zone. There are spiritual dead zones everywhere. People living in darkness and waiting to be freed from captivity. And what they need to connect is the seed of a vibrant Christian community like what we enjoy here. That's what they need. A healthy church is a living, thin place where heaven and earth meet, where God is able to reach people and people are able to reach God. It's a connection point. And it's of vital importance that all people everywhere meet him. That's why churches like ours are called to be multiplying communities, planting new churches in the dead zones. Maybe you remember uh, something that was called broadcast television. It used to have commercials. It was maybe 10 years ago. Some of you weren't born then, I know. But back in the day, back in the day, there were ads and uh, there was a famous ad for Verizon, right? The guy, the test guy walking around. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Yes, can you hear me now? Uh, he was testing coverage, right? Because the goal was complete coverage. And the goal of multiplying communities like ours is exactly the same. Complete and universal coverage so that the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. That's the goal. These readings we've had today enable us to glimpse movement towards that goal, a kind of two, phase, two phases of multiplication. Uh, the first prior to the death and resurrection of Jesus, and then the second afterwards. The readings from Luke chapter 9 and 10, if you want to look at those, first of all, uh, show us before the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Jesus was preparing to go from Galilee down to Jerusalem in order to die on the cross for us. And as he was making preparations, his short-term goal was complete coverage nationwide. That is complete coverage amongst the Jews. That was his short-term goal. He had come as the long-awaited Jewish Messiah, the Jewish king, and uh, he kept predicting, though, that he wasn't going to be enthroned as they were expecting. He wasn't going to be enthroned in a palace, but in fact, he was going to be enthroned on a cross. He would die. He kept promising that this was about to happen, that he would be uh, betrayed, arrested, crucified, and then would rise again from the dead. But he wanted all of his kinsmen to know about the kingdom of God before he was crucified. So his goal was complete coverage in Israel. So in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, as we heard, Jesus called the 12 apostles together, and he empowered and commissioned them, and then he sent them on ahead of him into different towns and villages, planting seeds of the kingdom of God. Then in Luke chapter 10, after the transfiguration, when it's clear that his, his time is imminent, that, that uh, it's just a matter of weeks before his crucifixion. Uh, the fields are ripe for harvest. The laborers are few. So Jesus calls, it says, 72 others. In addition to the 12, that makes 84, a perfect seven dozen. Uh, and even so, it's not enough. He says, pray for more. We need to send out more in order to reach every village, every town, 
before his triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. That was phase one of multiplication before the crucifixion of Jesus. Then came phase two after Jesus' ascension and the gift of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Uh, the Christians are filled with the Spirit and sent out for mission. First in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And a lot of that ends of the earth stuff is through uh, St. Paul going and starting seedlings of new churches in different communities in Asia and Europe. And on one of those trips, Paul left Titus, one of his assistants, he left Titus on Crete. And so he uh, left him there for a reason. We heard that in the reading uh, from Titus chapter 1. Why did Paul leave Titus on the island of Crete? Chapter 1, verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. What Paul received from the Lord Jesus, he passed on to his assistants, guys like Timothy and Titus, who passed it on to priests, elders, presbyters, whatever you want to call them, uh, that were established in different churches, and they passed it on to the next generation and the next generation and so on all the way down to us here today this same message has been passed down to us and it makes you and me a part of the equation the multiplication equation we also live during this second phase of multiplication our church is a multiplying community just like those churches in the book of acts so we share the very same responsibility as early christians the goal remains complete and total coverage. No more dead zones. We can stop multiplying once the earth is filled with Christian communities, just as the waters cover the seas. That's when phase two will end, and we will have reached our goal. So let's just take a moment to think about how this works in a church like ours. Is church planning just the duty of the pastor, something I go to conferences to think about, uh, and report back to you? Of course not. It is something that is the responsibility of the entire congregation. It's something that we all participate in. Um, and because this has been a core value of the Church of the Resurrection and something that you all have participated in over the years, we've seen a lot of fruit. Um, we're, we've, we've been able to plant a number of churches out of our congregation. Um, in fact, we've had a hand in planting 10 other churches out of ours over the past 16 years. I want to put up a slide just to look at for a moment to show you um, some of the ways that we've been able to work together uh, to start churches. There are really three different ways. The first one was locally, we have been able to see a group of people go from this congregation to start other churches in our area. 30 to 40 people sent out from our church to start a new congregation. That's been locally here in DC and in Northern Virginia. Then regionally, we've been able to send, uh, send support to new seedlings being planted in the Shenandoah Valley, down in Harrisonburg, in uh, Crozet, in Elkton, places like that. And most recently in Stanton, Virginia, where Jay and Elizabeth Trailer, who used to be a part of our church, have just moved with their son, Gus, and uh, they are preparing to start a new congregation there. And the way that we've been able to help is by taking teams from our church down to these places to help grow these seedlings up. We've also been able to help them find pastors. So we got Jay to date Stanton, and Stanton dated Jay, and now they're getting married. 
And so that's been the, the way that that has worked for us. And then uh, much further abroad, uh, we've been able to raise up clergy families and uh, see leaders ordained and then send them out to start churches in other cities like in Chicago and Buffalo and Boston and so on. That's been the three major strategies. I want to highlight a couple of other churches that are getting started right now uh, that you may not have known about. In addition to the one in Stanton, Virginia, south of Harrisonburg on I-81, we're also in the, uh, in the groundworks right now of um, starting one in Charlottesville, Virginia, and that will be a partnership between our church, the Church of the Incarnation in Harrisonburg, and the Church of Holy Cross in Crozet, which is kind of a bedroom community of Charlottesville. Um, so I think the first meeting for that will be in March on a Saturday night. And then uh, if you were with us in October for Christian Hofreiter being here with us, Christian and Helen. Um, Christian used to be a part of our church. He used to be on the clergy team, and now he lives in Vienna, Austria. He works for Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. He's their German language leader. And Christian and Helen are now starting a German-speaking Anglican church in Vienna. And they are looking for teammates and they're hoping that some of you will move there, whether short-term or long-term, to be of help with that. So those are some new works worth highlighting. I just wanted you to know about them. How can you be involved in church planting? Some are called to go, but everybody's called, whether you go or not, to be participating in this work. We can all pray, and we all should pray for these churches that have been started and for the ones that are yet to come. We should really be praying for Jay and Elizabeth, new to a community, uh, getting the lay of the land, and uh, there's a lot of pressure, but a lot of opportunity as well. We can also all give, and you all do give to the degree that you tithe to our church. Um, part of our tithes go to the diocese, and our diocese is far and away the most generous diocese in the ACNA for church planting. Uh, we give $600,000 a year to church planting. Um, for starting new works in our diocese. That's at least three times more than any diocese, uh, any other diocese in the country. And so it's a, it's a really great group to be a part of, and just by your giving to our church, you're participating in that way. Um, another way you can be involved is through being a part of raising up and sending out new leaders out of our church. Maybe you serve on a discernment committee for someone who's uh, considering a call to ordained ministry, or maybe as we hire new pastoral residents who, that come through, you participate in helping them in their own formation as leaders. Um, we are going to be taking teams down to Charlottesville, down to Stanton, to help them with music, to help them with outreach, to help them just with organization. And if you'd like to be a part of that, let me know. Um, and then another way is just your connections, your networks, because we're always wanting to know about people who have found themselves in a dead zone who want to start a church like ours. That's the way a number of these churches have, have gotten started. The one in Harrisonburg came from a phone call to us here saying, could you help us start a church like Res here in Harrisonburg, Virginia? And it was the best thing we ever did because out of that one has come so many other churches uh, over the years now. So maybe you, you are... Uh, connected to someone that's longing to get a church like ours started and, and we'd like to talk with you or maybe someday you're sent out of this church uh, to be placed somewhere else to start a new one. If you're a part of Church of the Resurrection now, 
it is likely that you will move away, <laughs> probably in the next 10 years. Uh, I hope you will stay, but if you're going to move, why not work with us and let us help you take in your toolbox the stuff that you need to start a new church somewhere else uh, and to, to just uh, cut away at the dead zones that are out there. Um, we would love to help you learn and prepare for multiplication in that way. So those are some of the ways that everybody in our church can be involved in starting new churches. Thank you for that. We're done with that slide. And um, uh, I hope that you will, you will be uh, cultivating a heart for this overall goal, which is that all the dead zones would disappear and every place in our entire world would be a place where people can connect with the Lord. So that's the goal. Uh, let's talk about the seed and the soil. Now, the seed of a multiplying community, when we plant a new Christian community, what's inside the seed? Or to put it another way, if you go to start a new church, what is it that you take along with you? And of course, the seed is the gospel of King Jesus, the risen Lord and his kingdom. That's what's at the core. Um, that's what Jesus sent the 12 out to proclaim, right? From Luke 9, 1, he called them together. He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. That's why they were sent out. And then again, it was the same story in chapter 10 with the 72 others. They were sent out as Jesus's emissaries with power and authority that he delegated to them. They were his advanced team, empowered to do ahead of time some of what Jesus would later do when he brought the good news of the kingdom, uh, when he visited that town. And then after Pentecost, spirit-filled Christians went out from Jerusalem doing exactly the same thing, taking the gospel to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Um, and wherever a little outpost of God's kingdom began to sprout up, Jesus' resurrection life started to overflow from it. It was a spring of resurrection life. The love of God conquered hate. Forgiveness and reconciliation triumphed over division. Women and children and slaves and outcasts began to be valued and treated with dignity. The sick found healing. Captives were set free. Those were the kinds of things that were happening wherever these seedlings were planted. But that was, of course, a very long time ago. Things have changed a lot since then. And let's face it, people are not that excited to hear about Jesus and his kingdom anymore, especially with all of the nuts who claim to be Christians on TV and radio, and uh, they're an embarrassment to the name of Jesus. Shouldn't we who are Christians downplay some of this gospel business and just try to be nice for a change. Um, maybe just try to get people to like us first and then later surprise them with our private beliefs, kind of sneak attack. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. I'm, of course, I'm all for being nice, and, uh, and I, and I want to do what we can to distinguish true Christianity from the kind of swindlers and hucksters out there. Um, but what's out of the question is somehow trying to disguise who we truly are. Because when we are sent out from this place, we are sent out not on behalf of us, but on behalf of Jesus. We go out as his representatives. We, we are ambassadors of him. 
Just as the seven dozen went out in Jesus' power and authority, so also must we. It's just simply not about us. Our power and our authority is of no benefit in the dead zones. Only Jesus' power and authority work to make that connection. Even though it sounds a little trite, when we go out from this place into the dead zones, what we should really be asking as we encounter people is the WWJD thing. What would Jesus do? (laughs) Because we are his representatives in that place, and whatever Jesus uh, would do is what we should do in that place because we represent him. And when we meet people who haven't heard Jesus' story, well, we should tell them. And when we meet people who are sick or oppressed in any way, well, we should offer to pray for them. Even though God sometimes doesn't answer our prayers for healing in the way that we would like, we, we should do it anyways. I have anointed and prayed for people over the years who have never gotten well. I have anointed and prayed for people over the years who did get well miraculously, but it took a long time. And I have anointed and prayed for people sometimes who have been healed instantly. You know what all of those have in common? None of them were about me. None of them were about me. They're all about King Jesus and his kingdom. I was just doing what he sent me to do. I was serving in his power and his authority as part of his advanced team. And what he, he does through us is entirely up to him. It's just not about me. So what we take with us when we go out, what's inside the seed, if you will, is this good news of Jesus, the risen king and his kingdom. Our community is gathered around him. It's his resurrection life that's bubbling up and flowing through us and holding us together. And that in and of itself is gloriously beautiful. Sometimes we, we uh, take it for granted. But even people who are deeply skeptical about Christianity are longing for that kind of life. And as we take that out and we, we get that started in new places, don't underestimate the beauty and the power of the gospel at work in the lives of people. That's the seed. Let me talk about the soil and then we'll be finished. When we plant a new Christian community, where do we plant it? Or uh, what soil should be receiving the seed? Or another way to think about it is in terms of packing for this journey, what should we leave behind? What should we not take because we know we're going to find it uh, when we get there? This, of course, is what Jesus was talking about when he talked with the 12 and when he talked with the 72 others about what not to take. He said, you're not going to need money. You're not going to need extra shoes, extra clothes. You're not going to need uh, bread, an extra tunic, and so on. Why not? Why not take all of those things? I mean, you pack for a trip, right? Any, any idiot knows that. Why, t- why leave these things at home? Well, it's because they were going out to start new communities. That's the important part. And the people whom they would meet would have to decide whether to receive them. If Jesus' ambassadors were rejected, well then, they had to shake the dust off their feet and keep moving. But if, on the other hand, they met a son of peace, someone who welcomed them in and then gave them hospitality, well then, in the give and take of hospitality, the gospel would take root in that new community 
and, and a seedling would begin to grow. I hope you see how this works, because this is so important. If they had brought all that they needed, including food and money and clothing and so on, then there would have been no need for a host. And as strange as it sounds, in trying not to be a burden on the people they visited, their self-sufficiency could have become an unintentional obstacle to the proclamation of the gospel. You see that? But in going empty-handed, they genuinely needed community from the start. And it created an environment in which hospitality and gospel were exchanged. So the one thing that they did bring was the thing that they were focused on giving. That was the gospel. I just want you to think about this for a moment. Who do you know who could benefit from you imposing and being a burden on them? (laughs) There's got to be someone. Who might you visit or depend on taking only the gospel of Jesus with you? I'm praying that someone comes to mind for each of us. Now, one more thought about traveling light. Not only was it good for building community, but it was also good for building faith, if you think about it. The disciples went without the stuff that they needed, and they had to watch the Lord provide through the the people that they would meet again and again. Last weekend, Elise and I were in Charleston uh, at a missions conference representing Res there, and we heard a great story from a short-term missionary uh, whose suitcase had been lost while he was on a short-term trip to India. He's a tall man, and uh, his clothes sizes were unusual, and so uh, he knew that he was going to be wearing the same outfit the entire time, right? Because his suitcase was lost. But as it turned out, the Lord provided everything that he needed, exactly what he needed, over and over again, and it started really building his faith. And then they came to a point in, in their trip where they were invited to go and minister in a disaster area. But they didn't have the resources they needed. They needed $125 more to go, and they just didn't have it. And so as they were about to turn back, they were about to, to uh, opt not to go, along comes the airline with his beat-up suitcase and all of his clothes hanging out, shrink-wrapped in plastic. And they bring it to him and say, sorry, we screwed this up. And for the inconvenience of you being without your luggage for five days, we're giving you $25 a day for those five days, $125, here you go. And because this experience of depending upon the Lord had been building his faith, they were at that moment certain of what they were supposed to do. They were able to go and bring the thing that they had brought, the gospel, to people in desperate need. That was the one thing that they were supposed to take, and they took it into a dead zone. So, just to wrap up, we've seen the goal of multiplying communities is that there would be no more dead zones on planet Earth. And the seed of a multiplying community is the gospel. And the soil is a community that's glad to receive us. Their welcome creates community, and their provision builds our faith. From the very beginning, our church has been about starting uh, new churches. We've been a church plant that plants churches that plant churches. We've dreamed of seeing a mom-and-pop church at every bus stop and metro stop in the city. That's been our hope. 
Uh, and thankfully, in the years since our church began, a number of churches have come out of ours. God has blessed us. And wherever I go, including last weekend, I tell the story of how church planning has occurred through our church, and people marvel. They're amazed that all of these churches have come out of our little congregation in just a period of 16 years. And you know what? That makes me kind of sad because it really should be every church doing this. Any vital community should be planting in this way. It's a, part of our, it's a part of our calling. It's part of the aim of healthy churches to be doing this. It's what living churches do. They grow and they reproduce. I'm so thankful that we have a bishop whom you'll meet next weekend. He'll be here all weekend and leading our services. I'm so thankful for him and for the diocese really investing in church planning and making this a priority for us and, and the other churches in our diocese that participate with us. So a lot of success. And we should be really careful about that success, right? We shouldn't uh, ever think that it's because of us. Uh, church planning more and more has become a kind of industry. It's become a kind of science. A lot of people talk about, uh, they reduce it down to getting the right dude with the right skinny jeans and the, the right number on the Enneagram and the cute family and, um, and the uh, really killer website and, uh, you know, finding just the right gentrifying community and on and on and on, right? Down to a science. Lord, have mercy upon us. Church planting is not a method. It is always a miracle when a new church is born. And it has to be because in the end, it's just simply not about us. It can't be. Remember Jesus' response to the emissaries when they came back so excited that the demons were submitting to them. Jesus said to them, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It's not about us. It's about Jesus, the risen king, and his kingdom as a multiplying community. It's our privilege to be a part of what he is doing in the world, anticipating that day that will come soon when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray together in his name. We lift up our congregation to you, Lord that we might continue in this work of multiplication and that each person here would know their role in it uh, as we want to see every dead zone eliminated and growing, thriving communities everywhere in this world. Thank you, God, for the fruit that you have given us over the years. May it continue and may it never go to our heads. May it be always for your glory and for the good of your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.